Welcome to a special edition of Warriors Off Court. I'm Connor Letourneau, Golden State Warriors beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, and today we have a recording of a live event Thursday night at the Chronicle building. It's called Chronicle Talks Warriors, and it's part of a series the paper puts on for subscribers only. Sports editor Al Sarasovic was the MC, and columnist Scott Osler joined me on stage in front of about 130 subscribers. If you'd like to come to events like this, we have them about movies, politics, food, baseball, all the subjects you find in the Chronicle. Subscribe to the paper at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Right after this break, Al, Scott, and I will talk about the Warriors season and how the playoffs shape up as they get ready to play the Los Angeles Clippers. Welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle. I am Al Sarasovic, the sports editor, and I'm joined tonight by two of our top writers on my Right is Connor Letourneau, the beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle on the Golden State Warriors. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> on my left is a uh, well-known and much-loved writer here in the Bay Area, Scott Osler. <laughs> Indeed, Scotty is known for his sharp wit and his knowledge of basketball. He's been covering the game for a while, going back to his days at the LA Times covering uh, teams with Magic Johnson and Kareem and the rest. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, no one wants to hear me talk, right? We're here to talk Warriors. And I wanted to kick things off with Connor here. He's just finished up his third season covering the team. And that's a lot of work and a lot of travel. Um, He just flew in from Memphis, landed about an hour and 20 minutes ago, got in a taxi, and came straight here. His suitcase is sitting in my office upstairs. So, Connor, that's uh, 82 games you watched today, uh, this year with the uh, Warriors. Um, over the le- this is the fifth year in a row this team is trying to get to a championship, a legitimate big-time favorite for the championship for five years in a row. What? Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, last year, there was a lot of talk about them starting to lose their drive, their ambition. Um, there was some of that this year, but I wanted to ask Connor, What's the mood of the team right now? What, what do you think their mindset is going into this playoff run, which begins Saturday at Oracle against the L.A. Clippers? So where's the team at? Yeah, I mean, the thing about chasing a three-peat, you know, a third straight championship is it's always difficult. You look historically, I'm, I know Scott can speak to this, um, you know, every team that's tried to do this has had some sort of locker room turmoil issue throughout that three-peat season, um, and the Warriors have been no different. Uh, I'm sure you guys are all well aware of what happened with Draymond and KD earlier in the year, and, you know, that kind of has festered throughout the season. And there's just kind of been a weird vibe in the locker room this season. It feels like this could kind of be the beginning of the end in terms of the dynasty. Uh, it feels like there could be some serious changes this offseason. Um, but that being said, it really has felt like the past month or so things are starting to kind of settle into a groove and they're starting to, you know, hit, hit all cylinders and they're playing some great basketball and everything in the locker room seems pretty good right now. So I think Warriors fans should not be too worried right now. I think they're going to be able to put things together for the playoffs, at least, at least this year. That's what it looks like. And we'll see, uh, what happens with Steph Curry. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Scott, you've been around the game for a long time, and you've been out at the uh, arena with Connor all season long. What's your take on the mindset of the team? Are these guys ready to to do it again three times in a row? Yeah, I think so. I think 
one thing, the mood of the team right now is they're sick of us. They're sick of the, the media, <laughs> especially Connor. Right? He's there all the time. <laughs> and by the way, Connor, this guy is 24-7 every day, every, every hour. He's at practices. He's at games. He's, doing, he's not just writing one story a day. He's putting up like six or seven or more stories a day and, and writing like crazy. It's, I don't know how he does it or why he does it, but <laughs> uh, anyway. The hardest working man in show yeah. business. That's true. Yeah. That Alan and I work really hard, but not as hard as, <laughs> as Connor. But I think the mood of the team is that uh, I think these guys are ready. You know, we talked all, all the time about them flipping the switch when it comes to the, the playoffs, and, and I think they're ready to do that. I think these guys may have, they might turn out to be the greatest flip switchers of all time because they've, they've done it for this is the fifth year in a row now and without really trying or without programming them, themselves that way they might just that's just the way it's, it's turned out they they can't really fully engage until the money's on the table and this might be the time yeah I like that switch flippers or <laughs> exactly um, yeah they talked about that a lot last year and it seems like they're ready to go I mean this is uh in a lot of ways, the real season starts on Saturday. And uh, I'm going to ask both of my esteemed colleagues here to just give us a quick rundown on uh, just handicapping it. Uh, what, what is your take, Connor? Do you think the Warriors can do it again? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I would be very surprised if they don't win another title. Um, I think especially in the West, I don't think there's anyone in the West that can really challenge them in a seven-game series. I think the West, in terms of the top teams, I don't think there's another Houston like from last year that, that can really push them in a seven-game series. So I think they're going to get through the West side of things pretty easily. And then the big question is, what do they do in the finals? Because there's some teams in the East that are pretty tough. Um, I think probably the four biggest threats to the Warriors are all in the East. Um, Toronto, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston. Um, so any of those teams, whoever makes it to the finals, potentially against the Warriors, that's going to be a fun series. I still would uh, would put the uh, the odds on the Warriors winning that, but I think it's going to be a good finals, whoever's in it. We shall see. And uh, so Connor says, thumbs up, yes, it's going to happen. Scott, yeah, what do you I, think? I, I'm seeing more of a thrill ride out of this. There was a, a couple years ago, it was 16-1. and one. I don't think it'll be anything like that. And I think one of the reasons is that so many of the teams have warriorized themselves. They're playing warrior-type basketball. They're moving the ball around. They're shooting more threes. Remember, remember a few years ago when the Warriors were, oh, my God, they were the three-point kings of the world. Now they're like third or fourth in the league in three-pointers. And so other teams are playing like that and stole, stolen their style and their thunder. And so I think, uh, I, I think danger lurks out there, even despite the talent. They should blitz through everything easily when you think of the talent they have, but... Uh, I don't know. I think it's maybe I'm hoping for that for just for the thrill of it, but I think it's going to be pretty exciting. I think there's there's, there's going to be some ups and downs through this. I'll throw in the third opinion here. So Connor says yes. Scott says it looks like it's going to happen. I'm going to say it's not going to happen just to be a contrarian. Ooh. I think something's going to happen. Injury. No one wants to hear that. I'm just an editor. What do I know? Let me call. Uh, a special guest star, an actual expert in the NBA. Bruce Jenkins is in the crowd today. Look at that. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Bruce is going to set me straight. Not only am I wrong, but he's also going to... Bruce is really our expert on the rest of the league. He, he watches more uh, NBA basketball than he should. I worry about him. Uh, he knows all about it, and I just wanted to ask him what he sees from the rest of the league and uh, maybe break it down for us a little bit. 
Well, they're going to get swept by the Clippers, so it'll be over quickly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree with, uh, with Scott and Connor. I think they're going to win it. Um, when you think about it, no team in the history of the league has had three of the greatest shooters anyone has ever seen. Nobody can match that. You know, Curry might be off, Durant might be off, but they've got these three guys as opposed to OKC and Westbrook or Kawhi and Toronto and Giannis, Antetokounmpo and Embiid, there's Kyrie Irving, there's these great talents all over the league, but I just, in the, at the bottom line, when it gets close, I just don't see anybody being able to match what the Warriors have. I think um, it's odd because uh, th if they play Houston, which is what everybody's sort of looking forward to, it'd be in the second round because Houston fell to the number four seed, so that'll be interesting. But I agree with Connor. I don't think the Rockets are what they have been in the past. They're not quite the same team. And I think, uh, I think the biggest threat is Toronto. Might be till the finals so they get the real test. And, yeah, that was some ugly basketball against Houston last year in the, in the Western Finals, even though it was tight and it was uh, compelling, but it wasn't a great brand to, to watch. So, By the way, raise your hand if you love James Harden. Love his... <laughs> <laughs> Send that clip to Houston. Scott Osler, ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's what we pay him for, man. The guy's fantastic. Bruce, thanks a lot for breaking it down, man. This is a legend for the Chronicle. Everyone loves the three dot on Saturday. He knows what he's talking about. You know, no, no, nobody breaks it down like I do, do they? <laughs> thanks for stopping by, Bruce. Uh, for, for, all right, all right. Well, there you go. Indeed. Um, I wanted to uh, make this a conversation tonight. A lot of times we're up here talking to you, but I want to hear, and, and the writers here want to hear from you as well. So I'd like to throw it out there to ask some questions. I think we're going to have someone go through the crowd. Uh, if you have a, a, a question real quick, raise a hand. My colleague will come by. There we go. Uh, 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 excuse me. We're only going to do it into the microphone because we're recording for the podcast. And so that's how we're going to start, okay? So I just want to thank you, Scott, for comparing uh, Curry to a mosquito. And now when I watch him play, that's in the back of my mind. <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that, too. He does not have malaria, though. So why do you say Toronto as opposed to Milwaukee? And that's a question for Connor. Well, obviously, Bruce said that. Um, I... I <laughs> I, I agree with Bruce, though, um, because I think that when it comes to the finals, when you're that deep into June, it's really about depth. And I, in my opinion, Toronto has the most complete roster in the league, and that includes the Warriors. Um, I don't think there's a single hole in that roster. They have every type of role player you would possibly want. I thought their trade at the deadline for Marcus Soule was great. Obviously, you have Kawhi Leonard, who's playing pretty good basketball. You have... Um, you know, you have Pascal Siakam, who's probably a most improved player of the year award front runner. So I just think they're really complete. And I, I look at Milwaukee and I don't think they're deep enough. I think they have, you know, Giannis, who's probably going to be MVP, greatest player in the world. They have Chris Middleton, who's an all-star. They have a couple good role guys, but I just don't think they're as rock solid as Toronto. Scott, do you want to talk about why Bruce was wrong? No, Bruce is older than me by <laughs> about three months, so he knows more than I do. But, but uh, yeah, I, I'm going to agree with Connor. You're a Toronto guy, too? Yeah. Okay, good question. Um, anyone else? 
Maybe take one more. Do you think KD is going to resign for one more year? I was I was wondering how long it would take <laughs> to, <laughs> to get that question. Well, that was my only other question. Now what are we going to talk about? Uh, um, take it away. Kyle. I think he's gone. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'm basing that off of being around the guy every single day uh, this season, and it's felt like the majority of this season he's been very disconnected, disengaged. I don't feel like he his heart is really with the Warriors right now. I think he's kind of mentally checked out. Now, credit to him. Um, credit to him. He's played great basketball. He's been able to, you know, really focus on the game when when – the ball goes up and has played at an MVP level. He won't be in the MVP conversation, but he's definitely playing at that level. Um, but talking to people around the league, talking to people close to KD, it just feels like he doesn't – I don't feel like he feels like he's valued enough. Um, and he's a very – as you guys know, he's a very sensitive guy. Um, and I think even though – he wants to he at his core is a pretty selfless person and he respects Steph Curry a lot. I do think on a on a deep level it really bothers him that he is not the guy and that you know he's probably you could make the argument he's the greatest scorer of all time and he's not even the face of his own franchise. Um and I think he wants to go build something and be the guy and I think it'll probably be a situation where he'll team up with Kyrie who's his very close personal friend and potentially go to New York. And my take on that quickly is that a lot of people are are portraying him as a guy who just has happy feet. He wants to move from town to town and everything. I don't see it that way. I I think he was with OKC for a long time, starting in Seattle and the move to OKC. And he came here for some really solid reasons. He saw an opportunity. It wasn't just an opportunity to cash in and get a ring and win championships, but to play basketball at the highest level and you know he's a different kind of guy he's some of us are happy getting in a groove and he is the kind of guy who looks around and and sees what are my other opportunities here you know what can I what can we do with other teams where where would I fit in with in in New York for instance and so I don't think it's because he's a bad guy and he wants to skip out because he can't be the number one guy but he's just a he's you know we're all different he's a different kind of guy play is they say no maintenance, and KD is a little on the higher on the maintenance yeah, sensitivity I, scale. I just kind of building off that. I just don't think that KD is happy, and I don't think it necessarily is an indictment against the Warriors or anything. I don't think he has any issue necessarily with Steve Kerr or anyone in the organization. I don't, you know, a lot of people, if and when he leaves, are going to say, "Oh, he left because of Draymond." I don't think it's going to be because of Draymond. I think that they're fine right now. I just think he doesn't feel completely fulfilled and he's going to want to fill that void and he's going to look elsewhere to do that. Right, let me ask you something. Uh, how much is he making this year, Katie? <laughs> he's making isn't he like 35, I think. 35 million? About. Now, uh, Bill Nagel, the publisher of the Chronicles here in the back here now. Uh, Bill, if you're paying someone 35 million a, a year, would you feel like they, they might be fulfilled? <laughs> <laughs> Well, are you fulfilled, Al? <laughs> well played, sir. I could always be more fulfilled, Bill. Let's, let's talk about that later. But uh, it's astonishing when you think about uh, the money that goes around the league. But, you know, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's not everything. And I, and I agree with both these guys. I think KD wants to probably, uh, the, the, 
the the uh, criticism is that he doesn't have his own legacy, didn't build his own team to a championship level. If he can actually do it in New York with that dysfunction with the Knicks, then he'll probably uh, uh, really establish himself as a super duper star. Uh, let's go to some more questions from the crowd. Thank you. I've been reading all of your articles for probably as long as you've been writing them. So Thank assuming you. KD does leave and the rest of the players remain as they are, what do you give a chance for a four-peat? Um, You're going right past the three-peat. I like it. Yeah. Woo. Wow. Um, well, that, that's kind of a loaded question because um, the reality is DeMarcus Cousins almost definitely isn't going to be back next season. Um, and then I'm, I'm not convinced that Draymond's going to be back next season. Uh, just kind of oh. looking at the writing on the wall, you know, he's going to be a free agent in summer 2020. Um, he thinks he's a max level guy. I don't think the Warriors think he's a max level guy. And, you know, situations like that, a lot of times, you know, push can come to shove uh, a, a year ahead of time because the Warriors would want to get value. If they don't think they can bring him back on that extension, they're going to want to trade him. So um, I think the roster could look very different next season. There's 10 free agents this summer. Um, Clay is almost definitely going to come back. But, um, you know, you're looking at Clay coming back. Obviously, you have Steph. And then from there, you know, Andre will probably be on the roster. I think Sean Livingston's going to retire. Um, so it's going to be very different. Um, and you also have to keep in mind, with all, everything I'm saying, they're, they're going to be capped out still. So they have to replace all these guys with no money. Like all, all they're all they're gonna have really is a mid-level exception, and so they're gonna have to fill these guys with best-case scenario. You replace Kevin Durant with Rudy Gay, someone like that. That's maybe best-case scenario. Uh, so and, Connor, are you, are you saying the Warriors next year are gonna look like the Giants do this year, pretty much? <laughs> um, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, what I, what I'm, what. I, but to, to kind of answer your question, I feel like as long as they have Steph and Clay and they're still in their prime, they're going to be contenders. I, I think it's very possible, though, that next year's the first year where they're not the favorites. I think the original question was, are they going to four-peat? Uh, so, so, <laughs> so let's, uh, I don't know if you, I, I think you weighed in on that with your, with your Giants comment. Um, let me ask, uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of, issues in the off season. And, and that's been the main discussion all year this year is what's going to happen to KD. Uh, is Draymond going to come back? Is Clay going to come back? But we still have, you know, it's like almost a foregone conclusion that they're going to win this championship here. Uh, we've gone through this four years in a row. We've seen them win three of those four, but this is, you know, they have to uh, win 16 more games here. Um, what would stand in their way right now in the playoffs, Connor? What, what would make the Warriors lose in any one of the upcoming Playoff series? I mean, a major injury, uh, yeah. some sort of uh, locker room dysfunction. You, you, you always wonder if there's going to be another kind of Draymond KD incident because, you know, the, the emotions get heightened in the playoffs, and I, it's not out of the realm of possibility that something like that could happen. But I honestly don't see that happening. I think that they are on the same page right now. I think that the, the one thing – that they're committed to is winning one more title. After that, a lot of things can happen. But um, I, I really feel like they're they're still the best team in the league by a wide margin. Yes, Toronto's very good, 
but I still think the Warriors are the best team in the league. And for them to lose, they kind of have to beat themselves. And I don't see that happening given where they are right now. Yeah, but don't don't forget all the times during this season, more than any season in the past, where they've spotted teams 15, 20-point leads early, mediocre teams, and then they've charged back and won most of the time. But there's there's been more of that. And if that happens in the playoffs, you know, let's say they lose a game one or game two, and then the next game the other team is fired up and the Warriors spot them a 15-point lead early. You know, no, things weird things can happen. The, the I know big, it's seven-game series, probably not, but The big thing happen. is the, the defense because that's been the big question all year. We all know they can score points. We all know how dynamic they are offensively, but much of the regular season they really lagged defensively. They, at one point they were 16th, 17th in the league defensively when they had been top five most of the Steve Kerr era um but after the all-star break they really improved on that side of the ball specifically the starting lineup which had struggled defensively and so i feel like they're going to be able to build off that and i think that's really important it's uh whatever happens this uh postseason and even going into next year it's undeniable that the warriors built a dynasty here which is unthinkable uh 10 years ago 20 years ago for Golden state fans it's been an amazing ride um, so uh, a great achievement for them and the new ownership there. Uh, I wanted to ask Scott, he had the, uh, to, to compare this, this dynasty here that the Warriors built with some of the other great NBA teams. Scott had the, uh, as I mentioned in the early comments, uh, Scott uh, covered the Showtime Lakers back in the 1980s in Los Angeles. And I wanted to ask him how he sees, are there um, dynamics at play here that remind you of the Lakers? And uh, talk to us a little bit about how that dynasty and that period of time compares to what you see here. Does it remind you of it? Yeah, well, one difference is that the, the free agency now, guys can move around more. So back then, once you locked in with Kareem and Magic and Jamal Wilkes, basically, and those guys, you, they were going to be around. You didn't, it wasn't a year-to-year thing. Oh, is Kareem going to go to the next? It was, it was pretty much locked in. So that was, that's one major difference. But one thing that's the same, I think, is that uh, there's so much stuff going on behind the scenes that we, none of us, that some of us see a little bit, we get glimpses of, but these guys are humans. And, and for instance, with the Lakers, you look back on it, oh my God, these guys are great, they got along, they were fabulous, they, they were all one big happy family and everything. The truth is that back, uh, I started covering the team in Magic Johnson's rookie year, 1979 and 80, when he came in, led them to the championship. And um, he told me a couple years later, he said for the first couple years that he was a Laker, he and Kareem never spoke, basically, you know, and he said, you know, Kareem was the the big famous guy and I was the rookie. So I didn't feel like talking to him and he didn't really come up and talk to me. So other than on the court, <laughs> these guys basically had no interaction um, and yet they they played pretty well. You know, they won the championship Magic's rookie year and there were all kinds of other things going on behind the scenes that Lakers had a power forward at the time named Spencer Haywood and he became the first NBA drug casualty. He was kicked off the team in the second or third game of the NBA Finals. So imagine your power forward getting thrown off the team in the middle of the NBA Finals, and yet that didn't derail them. But the point is that there was all kinds of soap opera things going on behind the scenes, and it's you know it's a living, breathing deal. This a team is, and so that's one thing that I I took away from that is that uh, you never just assume that. It's just a basketball team and everything's going to be great because as we saw with the Draymond and KD thing, things happen. I think Steve Kerr said at one point this year, the Warriors are finally in the real NBA. 
they've been in this like fantasy yeah. land for for years where everyone was getting ar- uh, along and everything's working. Um, what do you hear in your travels around the league um, as people assess where the Warriors fit in the larger pantheon, um, Connor, uh, when you compare them to the great Chicago Bulls teams of Michael Jordan or the, the Celtics of Larry Bird or the Lakers of Magic Johnson? Where do you think this team will stack up in the long run? Well, I think they need to win one more title. I think if they three-peat this year, um, they definitely deserve – a uh, place in that conversation. Um, not a lot of teams have, have repeated. Um, I think that the Celtics have to be number one, probably any, for the foreseeable future, because 11 titles is unreal. A lot of people will say, oh, it was easier to win back then, given how the league was set up. And that might be true. Um, but I definitely think the Warriors, if they win a title this year, they deserve to be in the same conversation as, you know, the 1990s Bulls, the early 2000s Lakers, maybe even the Showtime Lakers. They probably maybe need one more title, maybe four titles to be up there with the Lakers, the Showtime Lakers, but they're definitely go. up there. <laughs> I'm pointing at our our reader who wants a four-peat next year and, and is waiting for it. I'm with you on that. Why don't we uh, kick it out for some more questions from the crowd? You sort of spoke to my uh, question about I hate to speculate because it's wonderful to enjoy the dynasty, but there's all the speculation about next year. Who would be the ideal play? I was just sort of assuming that Draymond would be back, but if the three of them are back, if Curry and, and Clay and Draymond are back, who would be the ideal person to bring in? You mentioned somebody like Rudy Gay. Don't they lose the money when KD goes away that they could use that towards signing somebody? And would it be an Anthony Davis? Who would be an ideal person that the owner might go after or somebody or the organization? Well, even if Katie leaves, they're going to be capped out. So they don't, they're not going to have any money left over uh, even because they're so deep into the luxury tax that even Katie leaving, they, they don't have that money. So um, it's going to be really this, – this is where we're going to learn a lot about Bob Myers. I mean, Bob Myers did a phenomenal job building this roster, but he's going to face probably his toughest test this summer. And, you know, in terms of Draymond, it's tough to say because they'd probably trade him. So they're probably getting pieces – good pieces back, hopefully good young pieces back in that deal that'll help. Uh, The question is, do you want to spend your mid-level on a small forward to replace KD potentially or a center to replace DeMarcus Cousins? My guess would be they'd go after a small forward just because there's more good uh, free agents at that position this summer than than center. Uh, I mentioned Rudy Gay. I think Harrison Barnes could make sense, which would be kind of interesting, right? Um, there's a couple other, you know, guys kind of in that, that's kind of the level of player you're looking at. Though. It's going to be a pretty big drop off from KD. That's an interesting dynamic. So you're talking about the best backcourt in the league still with Stefan and clay, but a, a questionable front court. You think they can uh, pull off another miracle Scott and bring back another marquee player to play in the front court? Boy, I think they're going to bring in somebody who will be good. Um, it, no, they, I don't think they'll bring in a superstar. So oh, Anthony Davis. Yeah. I mean, there could be another David West type situation where you have a vet who is willing to take a massive pay cut to chase a title. Um, you know, it, it's hard to imagine them having a DeMarcus Cousins situation again. But <laughs> there definitely are going to be those guys out there like the Zaza Pachulias and the, the David West who are willing to make less to, to win one more. And Zaza can come in and hurt his own guys, injure his own players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh, just just a quick aside. I, I don't. I know you guys don't get out of practices and games like we do and get to talk to the players. But 
One, one observation I'd like to make about this group of warriors, aside from the, their obvious talent, is that, uh, you know, I've been around basketball and sports a long time. This is a really good group of guys to deal with in terms of the media. For one thing, the, the Warriors are media savvy, more, much more than a lot of teams. And their media director, a guy named Raymond Ritter, is kind of helps that out. Uh, they're more accessible than some teams. And, and to me, the, the players as a group are, are great to deal with. They, they give good interviews. They answer things honestly. They, and, uh, you know, everybody has their favorites and all that stuff. And I, I, a couple of the guys I really like, Clay is very interesting. And, and to me, KD, who can be very quirky and everything, it can at times can go deeper than the other guys in terms of letting us into his world and his, his feelings. I'd like to f know what you think about Jordan Bell. <laughs> Do you think he's coming back? Do you think he's that's worth a that's an interesting Do you think he's question. Worth it? You know. That's a good question because he he'll, he'll be a restricted free agent this summer. Um, and if you look everything we've talked about with the roster going forward, it would make sense to bring him back just because they need bodies. And he's only you know the qualifying offer for him is only one point eight million. That's a pretty good deal for a pretty promising young big man. So I think that makes sense. But then you take into account everything that's gone on off the court. I think there have been some red flags about his work ethic, about his commitment level. Obviously, you guys know about the infamous candle that he uh, that he charged to Mike Brown's hotel bill. And I was told that that was not the first time he did that. So there's some maturity issues there. And do you want to bring a guy like that back? into the fold if you're not confident he can grow up i don't i don't know it'll be interesting i think i would say 50 50 um because like i said it just makes so much sense from a number standpoint because you're gonna have a hard time getting a young big man with that ceiling with that upside at that price range so what's the general take on him he could jump out of the gym but defense is a question no his his defense i mean the, the thing is his defense is supposed to be his strong suit, but he's been pretty inconsistent there um, this season. Obviously, offensively, he's very limited in what he can do, but he's a freak athlete, and um, when he's engaged, he has a really high motor, and he can he can be kind of a a very a very poor man's uh, Draymond Green. That's kind of the the hope for him, but uh, you know he he's yet to put it together. What did you think about that incident? You talked about Spencer Haywood getting tossed from the finals for a drug offense. Jordan Bell got tossed for charging a candle to the coach. Uh, NBA's changed a little bit, Scott. <laughs> what would the Lakers we, do with that kind of offense? I, th I think, Al, you need to get your investigative people in on that. We, we still don't have the okay. full story on that. You know, why was, was Mike... it a scented candle? Why, yeah. <laughs> I can tell. This, I can tell you the story. Well, the inside story. Yeah, Here we do. go, Connor. Get into uh, it. Basically, it was a team prank uh between some of the players kind of a hazing thing uh you know kd and a couple of the older guys went last year when jordan bow was a rookie had charged things to his hotel bill like little things candy bars soda you know beer you know things like that um and so he started kind of getting back at them um and and doing doing it to them and mike brown none of the coaches were in on this this wasn't this wasn't a team-wide thing. The coaching staff knew nothing about this. And then he started doing it to Mike Brown. Um, and they're not really sure why. Uh, you know, you wonder, does he have an issue with Mike Brown? Was that, was that, you know, not coming from the best place? Why was he doing that to Mike Brown, who didn't even know about this? 
just so, got the wrong room number. No. <laughs> no. So, I mean, that's what the situation was. Obviously, Mike Brown was not happy uh, because he ended up realizing that, you know, he'd had some several charges in the past that he didn't understand and realizing that it was Jordan Bell. So, so we, we glossed over the beginning of this. Jordan Bell, who's a second year player with the Warriors, was suspended. Um, for a, a what one game, and then it turned out it all right. was tied to a hotel charge. He he made a scented candle. Yeah, a scented candle. A scented. It was scented, and uh, he was trying to make a joke. Mike Brown, the assistant coach, wasn't laughing. So there you go. Yeah, um, similarities with the old Lakers, though. You know, Spencer Haywood was free basing cocaine, and same thing. You have to light it up <laughs> with, the, with the candle. There you go. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. Things have changed. Uh, in the NBA, probably for, for the better there, I guess. Um, <laughs> I like it very much. Um, let me uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, one of the big storylines this year uh, is the last year at Oracle Arena. Let me get a show of hands here. This is going to be great for the podcast. Um, a show of hands. of uh, Who's excited about the team moving to San Francisco? All right. I'm counting about maybe a dozen out of this whole room. Who, who's kind of concerned or upset about it? Yeah, okay, so a majority of people here that are attending this, uh, this podcast recording at the San Francisco Chronicle um, seem to be a little upset about that, and uh, I'm with so, you. But I'm, why? On, on the plus side, it'll cost a lot more. Oh, wait, that's not good. Wait. <laughs> on Joe Lacob's plus side, it, it is a very strange time. Oracle Arena, through all the, 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 the horrible years, the team was terrible, and the fans still came out, and the team didn't win. And the fans came out. They didn't make the playoffs, and the fans came out. So uh, why leave? I guess it's all in the economics of what Joe Lacob and Peter Goober are trying to do. Two but, billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, two they, billion dollars of their own money. But yeah, I mean, they, what, what I mean is they yep. their valuation right. with going to Chase Center is going to increase by two billion dollars. Right. It's this, already increased by one billion, and they haven't even officially moved yet. So That's, if you were thinking about starting a GoFundMe thing for Joe Lacob, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> Forget about it. Connor, you've been around the team for years now. Um, you know, do you get a sense of melancholy or, uh, uh, you know, nostalgia from people like Steph, especially Curry? He's the, uh, the ranking member of the team in terms of duration and length of time on the, the roster. Are they sad about it? I think so. I think, you know, the interesting thing about this team is most of these guys live in Oakland. You know, a lot of people would assume they have these awesome penthouses in SF, you know, on the marina or whatever. But most of these guys actually live in the Oakland Hills. They live out in Danville or East Bay area, and they love it out there. I think a lot of those guys came from, you know, rougher backgrounds, and they kind of feel like they can vibe with what Oakland is about, what Oakland represents. They love the town jersey. They love everything about Oakland. Um, You guys obviously saw a couple nights ago the last regular season game at Oracle when they all wore the We Believe jerseys. That was a really cool moment. And you could tell they genuinely cared about that. You know, that was actually the player's idea. That Steph, I think, was really instrumental in making that happen, uh, which just shows, you know, they get it. They get what that team meant to this, the history of the Warriors and what that arena means to the Warriors. One, th- one thing, oh, I think when we look back on this, Oakland's going to be considered one of the great NBA towns of all time. Because when you, when you think about it, like the A's now, they've gone through some ups and downs. The team is, I think, horribly managed right now from the top. And so the attendance is down. Nobody shows up. The Giants, now we're seeing this, they're having a down year, down a couple years. And attendance is taking a dive. Oakland, 
the team sucked for like 20 years and people still came out. These people are NBA fans. They love the sport. It's not that, oh, my team's got to win every night. They, they love the sport. Scott and I, I know Connor is fully focused on, on basketball, and he's covered other things for us in the past. He was our Cal writer. Um, Scott and I uh, kind of bounce around different sports, and it's been, can you believe it, it's been six years, I think five or six years now of Levi Stadium down in Santa Clara with the 49ers. And we saw what happened there, right? I mean, uh, it's not the same. Yeah, look at that. The crowd's loving Levi's. Let's hear it for Levi. Um, different vibe, different fans, too hot. Nobody wants to go. Uh, could this happen uh, at Chase Center, Scott? It could. Um, it, part of it's going to be demographics because the tickets are much higher priced, and so you're going to get a higher, you know. They're expensive you already. <laughs> yeah, and so that, that's going to change. Um, that's inevitable, though. That's kind of a sport-wide thing. You, you can't go to ball games in any sport now for five bucks. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to change. Yeah, the Niners kind of miscalculated there because once they built that new stadium, then the team got really bad. I don't think doing those two things at the same time works. Well, they miscalculated by getting rid of their their coach and and changing everything and, and, sell, every and selling their soul. And yes, <laughs> there you go. And getting a lot of uh, trouble, a lot of arrests. A 49ers writer is uh, well versed now in the criminal thing. Um, you know, Connor, are you looking forward to? I mean. I, uh, uh, this week, I think Steph Curry was quoted saying he might need to pull a Kobe Bryant. They live out in the East Bay, I think in Alamo, somewhere out there. And he's him and Aisha are trying to buy a house here in San Francisco, and they're concerned actually, about the sticker shock. I actually talked to him about that. Yeah, what did he have to say the other day in LA? Um, he said that he told me that he doesn't think they're going to move to SF, um, and that he's going to they're going to stay out there. And he said it's going to. That he was literally looking into at one point taking a helicopter. That was the Kobe Bryant right <laughs> yeah, reference. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I didn't finish yeah, that. Yeah. I guess Kobe used to live in Orange County, and he um, went to a helicopter to Staples. Is that true? But you, yeah. he actually looked into it, and you can't in SF. You can't, you know, you can't really fly a helicopter in SF, given even you if know, you're Steph Curry. <laughs> apparently not. So okay. he he's so, gonna be like. Uh, like us, unfortunately, commuting <laughs> the from the Bay East Bridge. Bay and, you know, doing that hour and a half commute. So. This, this will be a big change for the, the players, seriously, because on a typical game day, they have a shoot around in the morning at 10 o'clock or 1030 or so. And they come in and they go home and they come back for the game. It, once they play at Chase, if they're living in East Bay, they won't be able to, to, to do that. So a lot of the guys, I'm sure, will get apartments or condos down there where they can stay in the middle of the day, but that changes the whole dynamic. So right. that's nap time, right? After the shoot around, right. you go and nap time and cookies and take a little nap. And there you go. Um, so yeah, if you're uh, selling real estate near uh, chase center, the warriors are probably interested. Yeah, I love the whole idea about the helicopter. Someone needs to call uh, mayor London breed and see if we can get a dispensation. Maybe they can commute together in the, uh, in the HOV lane for helicopters for the East Bay. <laughs> That'll be kicking around a little more for questions. So going back to the next 16 games, hopefully, um, and t just talking about the bench. So we talked about, um, you know, one player. But although uh, McKinney and Quinn Cook, they're all feel-good stories. They fill up a lot of good newspaper space because everybody feels good about their success. Talk to me a little bit about what you expect to see out of those guys over this playoff series because it feels like 
just a personal you know observation that they're they're not quite uh, they're, they're, they seem to be great guys, but I don't I don't see whether they're going to walk off the bench and turn into stars and bring us to where we need to go. So how do you feel about the bench? Uh, no, that's, I mean that's a legitimate concern. I mean you want you want to have guys on your bench who you feel like can come up big in a playoff game. You know the Leander Barbosa or the most Spades type guys of the world. They don't really have that right now. Um, but I do feel like they feel good about where the bench is in this moment because you look at these guys on the individual basis, a lot of these guys who struggled much of the season, guys like Quinn Cook, Alfonso McKinney was really struggling midway through the season, Jonas Jarebko, um, they're playing pretty well on an individual basis right now. Um, and the reality of the situation is you don't need – the Warriors are never going to have one of the top scoring benches in the league because their starters score so much, and they now – stagger their their lineup so that they have multiple all-stars on the court at any time so the 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 there's not going to be a ton of pressure on those guys but you just need them to be confident you need them to you know make the subtle plays and i think that they feel good about where they are right now if you had to pick one of those guys as who's going to be the x factor he's always like a weird playoff hero who do you think is going to step up just Throw a name out there. Um, well, I mean, this might be kind of obvious, but I, Andre, I think, is going to come up big. Um, Andre has been great this season. You know, we everyone's been really down on the bench, but Andre's probably had his best regular season in two, three years. Um, and I expect him to be really important. Um, another guy, you know, the, Quinn Cook is a guy when you really need some scoring, can, can come off the bench and hit shots. And I think there's going to be, you know, a couple times maybe in the playoffs where they need that. Steve, after – after Quinn went off the other night for 20, 21 points, said, you know, he's going to have a bigger role in the playoffs this year than he did last year. And I, I totally see that happening. Yeah. And Andre is always big in the playoffs. I, I love Steve Kerr's description of, of Andre a few years ago. He said, he's the babysitter. You know, he, he stabilizes everything. He comes in, he never makes mistakes. He cools everything down, gets everything on track. He's, it's amazing. You know, kids on playgrounds, you, you don't, go to playgrounds and see people trying to be like Andre. He, they're all trying to be Steph and Clay and everything like that. But this is a guy just under everything and just, just a great stabilizing influence. Maybe there's oh, some babysitters out there who want to be like Andre. <laughs> and uh, another guy to mention is Kavon Looney. As you guys remember, he's, he's very important defensively, specifically in that uh, Houston matchup. And it's looking like they'll probably face Houston in the second round. And he's going to be – really key in that because he can switch off ball screens and pick up a guy like James Harden and Chris Paul uh, in, in isolation, which for a big man, that's, that's really important. And so I think he'll be really big specifically in that series. You're listening to a special edition of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast about the Golden State Warriors. Al Sarasovic here, sports editor, joined with Connor Letourneau, our beat writer, and Scott Osler, our uh, columnist, on the team, we're taking questions from a uh, crowd of uh, members and subscribers that have joined us at Fifth Admission here in San Francisco. What's next? Thank you. Not to go too negative, but two questions. Is Bob Myers going to be back next year? And if KD does leave, would it, could it be, be a sign and trade? And if so, what could they expect to get back? Yeah. On Myers, I'll, I'll turn it over you, to Connor. Do you, do you ask that question because of the Lakers? Okay. Um, Right, right. So, uh, obviously, uh, Magic Johnson shocked everyone a couple of nights ago when he just stepped down 
out of nowhere, didn't even tell Jeannie Buss and just called an impromptu press conference and resigned as president of the Lakers. And Bob Myers, his name has been bandied about as a potential replacement uh, with the Lakers. His, I don't know if you guys knew this, his wife is a former Lakers dancer. Spent a a lot of time uh, in L.A., was obviously an agent down there. He's from Danville, but spent a lot of... Played at UCLA. Played at UCLA, correct, correct, yeah, walk on. Um, But talking to people in the organization, knowing Bob, I think there's almost 0% chance that he would leave. I think his heart is with the Warriors, and he'll be back. What what about the line of thinking that Joe Lake would like to put his son in as... Bob Meyer substitute. I think that, that that was a thought early in Joe Lacob's tenure, and I think he realized pretty quickly that that just doesn't make sense. I mean, you can't demote or fire the best GM in sports. Um, and yet, yet, and uh, Kirk Kirk Lacob, his son, who's an assistant GM, has kind of carved out a niche as an analytics guy, and so he's been very valuable in growing that department. And I don't think he even necessarily feels a need to be the head guy anytime soon. So I don't think that's a real issue right now. Connor, what year did they buy the team? Uh, it was three. No, it was, uh, I'm sorry, 13. Yeah, it was 2000. I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. I think it was, yeah, it's not a big deal. I want to tell I want to tell a funny story about that because, um, here we are at the Chronicle, uh, a new ownership group comes in. We all thought it was going to be Larry Ellison. And then suddenly uh, Joe Lacup and Peter Goober, and we're like, who? So we look, we're Googling these guys, and we realize, well, the Goober guy's pretty famous. You know, he did Rain Man and Batman, and he, all the way back to Shampoo. He's a Hollywood guy. And then we're looking at Lacup, and uh, I used to cover Silicon Valley in a previous life as a journalist, and he was a venture capitalist, but I never heard of him. And uh, they... Uh, they uh, 2010, all right, so that was early in my tenure as sports uh, editor. Anyway, we hadn't seen the Warriors owner ever. Uh, Cohan had never met with the, with the uh, media. Uh, so these two guys, they, they got a room at the, the newly built Four Seasons Hotel, one block away from where we're sitting tonight, and they invited us all to come over. And, and I walked over there, and we, we, we go up to the top penthouse suite, and Lakeup and Goober are sitting at the table, and I walk in, and there's no one there, and I start talking to them, and they're, they're great. Goober especially can tell a joke and a story. And I just thought, well, wow, these guys are pretty good. Then I'm talking to Lakeup. I said, well, you know, who's your first hire? What are you going to do? He goes, oh, well, I've hired my son to be the, the vice president of basketball operations. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk Lakeup is who we were talking about. And my, you know, I just, my jaw kind of dropped. He was like 24th. He, he, was ju- he had just graduated Stanford, had never had a job in his life. His father is a major donor at Stanford. We won't get into that whole We don't know how he got thing. in. But, so anyway... I'm sitting at the table with these two guys, and I said, oh, my God, I had high hopes there for 10 minutes, you know. But this guy just put his 21-year-old kid to be the VP of basketball operations. So I marched back down to the Chronicle and write up a column that says, you know, different names, same story. This is going to be a train wreck. And it uh, shows how much I know. But Kirk's still around, and uh, it, it's worked out. He's and turned out to be pretty sad. And his other son is the head of the G League team. Right. He's, he's actually doing, doing, really well he's done too, a great so job down there. I, I take my hat off to uh, Joe Lacob and what he's done there. He's run that team like a venture capitalist. He's hired the best people in the world at what they do and let them do what they do. And that we, includes Bob Myers. But, you uh, know, he yeah. should have listened to me because... <laughs> of course. When, when Mark Jackson was the coach, Jackson was a weird guy and everything, and I didn't really get along with him that well. But he brought the team up. He made them, for the first time in decades, they were playing defense. 
the players liked him. I, I didn't necessarily like him, but the players all liked him. And so, and he, he had made the team better. And so Joe's thinking about firing him and he gets around to firing him. And I was writing, don't fire this guy. You know, he's a weird guy and everything, but he's a good coach. You can't, it's hard to find a good coach. So, you know, what's he gonna get? Some TV guy or something like Steve Kerr? What? So, that so, shows what I know. We like to call columns like that, like my Lake of Column and your uh, Mark Jackson, wrong in public. That's what we do um, on a regular basis, at least. That's the joy of writing opinion and, and so forth. Can we get another question from the crowd? How are we doing on time? Um, I know we're allegedly uh, light years ahead of everybody, but um, when's the last time we had an above average draft? That's a legitimate question. Um, well, you, the, the thing about that is, you know, when you're when you're as good as the Warriors, you, you're drafting late first round, and there's just not a lot of – it's hard to find value at 28, 29, 30. If you look at those – I mean, obviously they did get Draymond 35th in 2012, um, and that is, you know, a hallmark moment in franchise history. Monte Ellis was a second-round pick. Monte right? Ellis was a late second-round pick. Um but, you know, it, I think if you look at the, the value they've gotten from those picks recently, you know, they got Damian Jones at 30. They got um, they got Jordan Bell at 38. They got Patrick McCaw at 38. Um, they got, you know, Jacob Evans obviously doesn't look like he's panning out at 28. Uh, but I think a lot of those guys, the value at that late in the draft is actually pretty good. You know, Damian Jones is a guy who – could be a long-time rotation player. He's not going to be an all-star, but he could be in the league for a very long time. At 30, that's pretty good. Kavon Looney, 30th pick, he's going to be in the league 10-plus years. I mean, he's a legitimate, solid role guy on a championship team. That's pretty good at 30. Um, I just think sometimes you guys, you know, as fans, it's really easy to say, hey, that guy's not averaging 20 a game. He's not good. But the reality is, you got to think about the value of where they're taken. I actually think they haven't done that badly. Jordan Bell at 38, that you can do a lot worse at 38 than Jordan Bell. Good point. I could buy that. Scott, what do you think? Bob Myers terrible at the draft. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the all-time nicest guys. So even if he was terrible, you could never rip him, right? Great hair. There's nobody better. Nobody nicer than Bob Myers. My God, he, he's a pretty amazing guy. That whole team kind of weirds me out. Like every person you meet is like better person than the next. When I, I, I met Bob Myers, uh, I was working out at a gym, believe it or not, um, uh, in the East Bay, and, uh, and uh, Bob Myers comes walking out, and I was going to go play basketball, and he's, he was coming off the court, and, and uh, he's just the nicest guy ever. He said, oh, hey, Al, how's it going? He's talking to Steve Kerr, one of the nicest people I've ever met, just a, a truly wonderful human being, and you just don't see, it's just like Jim well, Harbaugh. Right, the whole organization. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or not. You know, the whole the, the entire organization, uh, Rick Welts, the, the, yeah, the, president the president of the team, of, is just a fantastic right. human being. Uh, uh, just, yeah, and the roster. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things uh, I was thinking, uh, how many folks were around to see Willie Mays when he, he was a player? Yeah. Right. And maybe some of you saw Rick Barry, right? And, and Joe Montana. And when you, if you put up a Mount Rushmore of, of, of Bay Area athletes, then, then Steph's got to be on there, right? And it's just so phenomenal to watch him play. So no matter what they do next year, he, along with Clay, but he'll be back here. And to, and to watch, be able to watch him is phenomenal. It just, uh, like I said, I go back to the Magic Johnson days in L.A. And just, I still can picture 
seeing him play. And to have, to have him, whether they win it all next year or not, but to have, you know, Willie Mays didn't win it all, right? He didn't win every year. But it was still phenomenal to watch him on an everyday basis. And the fact that we get to see Steph Curry on an everyday basis uh, is pretty cool. It is a remarkable slice of history in the last 10 years in the Bay Area between the Giants run, the, the brief uh, uh, era of Niners dominance with uh, Jim Harbaugh, and then it rolled right into the Warriors. So it's been a special time for Bay Area fans. Um, let's hear another question from the crowd if we can. We have a couple colleagues. Please go ahead. Yeah, I just wondered, um, with the playoffs coming up, and this is DeMarcus Cousins' first playoff series ever, how he and Steve Kerr get along in general, and how do you think he'll respond to being in the playoffs for the first time? And how's Steph Curry? Don't forget to tell us Steph. <laughs> how's Steph? Oh, Steph's great. <laughs> oh, his ankle, sorry. Uh, it's been a long day. Uh, his ankles, his ankles, fine. I wouldn't worry about that. He he'll be ready to go game one. Um, and I, he wasn't even limping after the game. I think he could have gone back into that game, but it just didn't really matter. Uh, they didn't even have an MRI. You know, you know something's not serious when you don't get an MRI. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about his ankle. I can understand the concern given his history, but I don't think this specific instance is a huge deal. Um, and then in terms of DeMarcus Cousins, uh, he's really fit in really nicely into the fabric of the team. I think there's obviously a lot of concern given his reputation. And I think a lot of that was honestly a little bit overblown. He was in a really dysfunctional situation in Sacramento. I think it, it was hard for anyone to be happy in that situation. Um, but he, he and Kerr seem to connect on a real level. Um, they seem to really get along and he's a really easygoing, uh, jovial type guy in the locker room. He cracks a lot of jokes. Everyone seems to like him. You know, he's he's kind of, from what I've seen, he's been kind of a bridge between Draymond and KD because he's really good friends with both of them. And so when they had their issues earlier in the season, it was actually DeMarcus who was really integral in that. And I think he's really excited. Uh, I think he's really excited to play his first ever playoff game. You know, keep in mind that, you know, obviously he was with those Sacramento teams. They never they never made the playoffs. And then last year, he was on the Pelicans. They sweep Portland in the first round. They play the Warriors in the second round, but he's injured. So he has to watch that from the bench. He's the best player in, in the NBA to not have ever played in a playoff game. And so he that's going to be a real cool moment for him, game one. And I think he's really, really stoked. That's astonishing. How many seasons? Ten? Something like that yeah, for DeMarcus? Was, yeah, it was something like that. He was with Sacramento six and a half years and then – so, right. yeah, he's been – this is his 10th year in the league. Is there any speculation on where he's going to go? There's a, there's a league rule that basically stipulates the Warriors can only offer him something like five point five or $6 million next year, right? Right. So, for that reason, if people are wondering why wouldn't Cousins come back, they can only offer him a, a certain amount. What's he going to get they from someone only, else? Like, they can only offer him a 20% pay raise on what he's making now, which right. is 5.3. So, I think he can make 6.1 next year. Yeah. And then they can only offer him like a 30% raise on that the following year. Right. So they can't even give him a max deal for another two more years. Right. So, and the guy's 28 right now. So why would anyone in his situation who's on the back end of his prime, you know, not capitalize on, and not try to make as much money in the, his prime years as humanly possible. So he's, he's not coming back and well, they well, know take that a, he's Take a stab. Back. How, what would his market value be next year? He, he's going to triple his market value. So 18, 20 million? Yeah, something like that. I mean, he's playing – his numbers aren't crazy because he plays on such a, a loaded team, but 
he's had the big thing was he just needed to show that he was healthy and that he could make those awe-inspiring plays that he was known for making with Sacramento and New Orleans. I think he's shown that really, especially in the past month or so. Um, so I think, yeah, he'll, he'll probably make 16, 17 mil somewhere. Any thoughts on who's interested? A lot of teams. Yeah. I mean, who's not? <laughs> he's, How about the Knicks? he's arguably the, you know, he's probably the second or third most skilled big man in the world. So I think a lot of teams w- with, with cap space would want him. I know Boston really wanted him last summer. They're going to have some, some money. So it'll be interesting. But that's a guy, especially if they win it, who's really going to feel bad about leaving this team. Forget about the money, but yeah, I mean, I think I, he's really think, found himself with this team. I agree. I think if he could have it his way, he would come back. I think he's really happy. Um, I, I talked to his mom recently, who said that she, he's the happiest he's ever she's ever seen him. Um, and when a mom says that, you know, um, it's got to be true. Um, well, how, how would you? But feel? it just doesn't would, make sense for him to come back. How would you feel if you show up at practice every day and you got Steph and and Clay and Steve Kerr? You know, you'd be pretty happy too if you. Yeah, I mean, jumped think, into that think about the situation he came from. You know, Sacramento was so dysfunctional. New Orleans, there was stuff going on there. A lot of injuries they were dealing with. And I don't think the fit playing alongside Anthony Davis was ever ideal. Um, so this has been a dream come true for him. He's just – he's milking it right now. He's loving it. There's the headline. Boogie Cousins' mom says, stay in San Francisco. <laughs> let's, let's get another question from the crowd. Here we go. You guys have been great talking about all the players and the ownership, but what about the leadership of the team? Where do you guys see Steve Kerr and the assistant coaches uh, over the next one to three years? Uh, Kerr has developed a group of coaches that have left uh, with Gentry and Walton. Is there is there is Collins the next on that list? Uh, Connor knows about this. Yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, well, in terms of Steve, you know, he signed a five year deal. Uh, last summer so he'll be around through those five years I think and um, he's always said that he will reevaluate at the end of every contract for him it's just he needs to make sure that he is mentally and physically fully invested and if he's not he'll walk away I I think it's a situation where you know at the end of the five years he's either going to quit coaching or he's going to keep coaching the Warriors he's not going to go to another team um he feels very loyal to the Warriors and and in terms of his assistance um there isn't really like a Luke Walton who was an obvious head coach in waiting uh Mike Brown has had three shots as a head coach in my opinion he's kind of gotten the short end of the stick I think he's a much better coach he's probably the best he he might be the best coach in NBA history who's been fired three times I mean the guy took LeBron James and Anderson Barajal to the NBA Finals in 2007, which is not easy to do. Um, and uh, so he he's gotten some interest. I know he's interviewed at a couple spots. He's actually in. He was there was talk about him maybe going to UCLA, uh, which isn't happening, obviously. Um, so he might get a shot, probably not, because it's just you don't see guys getting fourth chances in the league very much. Uh, Jaron Collins has been mentioned. I'm. I think that he's still a couple years away from getting a head coaching opportunity. And then they have a couple young guys like Willie Green and Chris DeMarco, who I think could be head coaches, but that wouldn't be for a while. Uh, talking about a minute ago about the Mount Rushmore of Bay Area athletes, what about the, the Mount Rushmore of Bay Area, the coaches and managers? And, you know, of course, you got Bill Walsh. and You got John Madden. 
at Madden. Uh, yeah. I would put uh, Bruce Bochy on that Yeah, list. probably three championships, right. And I'd, I'd have to put Kerr on there. I'd, Steve Kerr, of course. You guys like Kerr? It's, yeah. And of course, there's Eric Musselman. <laughs> Eric Musselman. <laughs> Eric Musselman or Don no, Nelson, no. maybe. But Steve I, Kerr's a rare guy. He's, he's phenomenal. And I, you know, I, I might be wrong, but I think he would relish, not relish, but he would welcome the, the, the challenge of coaching a team that doesn't have all like five or six superstars. You know, when they maybe hit a down, down, down year, that'll be a different challenge for him. It's definitely a challenge coaching all these guys and, and keeping them all together and keeping everybody happy and, and giving KD and Steph and Clay the same amount of shots and all that stuff. There's an art to that, and he's really finessed it, but I think he would uh, really welcome that, a different, a, a different kind of thing where they're not the favorites. Like and, it could and, be next year. And welcome less expectations, too. I mean, uh, that's a lot of stress and pressure he's been carrying around. Um, just uh, watching, uh, I'm not as close to it as you are, Connor, but it seems to me that Steve uh, looks better physically. I mean, do you feel like he's rebounding from, from his long struggle with the uh, impact from his back surgery a couple years ago? I, I think so, for sure. Um, you, I was around him enough, you know, when he was really struggling with it a couple years ago to the point where I, I could really, I could tell, I could pick up on the indicators that he wasn't feeling great. Now, he would rub his eyes he would scrunch his face he would just kind of he would kind of lose his train of thought in interviews um and you could just tell he wasn't feeling great and that's you still noticed that a little bit last season every once in a while he would have bad days uh but this season i haven't really noticed that and i think he's i don't want to say completely out of the woods but i think he's feeling pretty good you know it's our job not to root for teams as journalists we're objective we try to stay out of it, but it's 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 hard not to root for a guy like Steve Kerr because I remember when he was at the, uh, the please when he was in a in a lot of pain and dealing with that he would still be there every single day dealing with us in a very uh, uh, you know kind courteous manner which uh, and he wasn't in great shape and we don't always get that from people that have no issues going on <laughs> uh, it's a little tough sometimes so uh, you got you got to hand it to him on that. Um, I think we probably have a, a couple more questions left. Uh, you guys choose them out there. I'd like to ask about the Warriors broadcast team, Fitz and JB. To me, I think they're the crook and kipe of basketball. Are they considered the elite of the NBA as far as broadcasters go? I don't believe so, Scott, Connor. <laughs> I mean, I think they're good. I, I think what you see in uh, L.A. or New York, I would think, would be what I, people I mean, I think to. they're really polarizing. Uh, I've, I've talked to some people who love them. I've talked to some people who really don't like them. Uh, I know them personally, so I, I'm, not, I'm kind of biased because I know them on a personal level and I'm friendly with them. Um, but uh, I know specifically Fitzgerald, uh, the Athletic, came out with an article calling for his job a couple weeks ago. Um, which is interesting for a public way to, get to call for another media member to be fired. But um, yeah, so I, I don't think the average, I, I've talked to people in the Warriors organization who do feel like they're the best in the league. Um, but I've also talked to people throughout the league who don't agree with that. So, yeah, I, th I think it's very subjective and I don't get a chance to hear the Knicks and the jazz and all those announcers. So I, I couldn't make any call on that. Uh, I did grow up, in Los Angeles listening to Chick Hearn and Vin Scully too. 
and those people were, were pretty special. And I think they were among the all-time greats. And up here, they had Bill King, who I didn't get a chance to hear a lot, but who, who was phenomenal. It's just, it's, it's such an art. It's, and it's a function of personality and, and it's, it's a mystical thing, how you can make that connection, an announcer can make that connection. And I'm not sure that, that say, Fitz and these guys are, are in that same category, but you know, I think they do a good job. I like Barnett's analysis. I think he's his heart is with the team, and I think that's a, a cool thing. You know, you're supposed to the announcers are supposed to be um, impartial, I guess, or supposed to seem impartial, but uh, they're not. They're part of the team, and and I like the fact yeah. that he's, they're, you know, his heart is in it. They're not like I mean, we don't get paid by the team. They get paid by the team. Right. They're on the charter flights. They're employees of the team, so they can't really say. If you guys remember, they didn't talk about the KD Draymond situation at all because they couldn't because they're employees of the team. Yeah, so by the way, in, in the old days, back when I was covering the Lakers and stuff, they didn't fly charter. You know, they didn't have their own planes. They'd fly commercial, and the writers would travel with them. We'd be right there on the plane with those guys, you know. Of course, we had the light right in the uh, overhead luggage compartment. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, now they have their own, own planes, and I, everybody doesn't know this, but a guy like Connor, the beat writers, don't ride with the players. You know, they don't let us ride on – they don't ride – let any of us ride on the plane. Um, so And Al wouldn't want us to anyway because <laughs> that right. would be a conflict of interest. So. Well, yeah, not to get too uh, serious here, but I think in this day and age where there's a lot of debate over what the media's role is and talk about fake news and things like that, which is uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate and horrible, um, I think it's important to know, understand that, that we're an independent news source that covers the Warriors. We tell it like it is, and that's why you should come to the Chronicle for Connor and Scott and other people. <laughs> We don't get paid by the team, they don't fly us around, and we don't owe them any favors. And that's why we can tell the truth about the team. And uh, let's have another question. We'll tell you what we know. Back here, I think. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm on the podcast. I love it. Uh, thank you guys for doing this tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, Connor, you're killing us with some of these potential roster moves. Sorry. <laughs> I appreciate you being honest, though. Truth hurts. Um, so I read you guys, and I appreciate all you do. And the, you, Connor, you're especially prolific. I know you stories, multiple stories every day, especially after a Warrior game. But I'd, I'd like to digress a second here and ask you guys, you know, who do you read or listen to in a podcast? Who inspires you? And maybe focus on the NBA. Thanks. I'll leave that to Connor to start. Um... I, 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 I really look up to narrative storytellers, people who get into the off-the-court stuff, stuff that, you know, gets at what makes players tick. Um, actually, the reason I really got into sports writing and wanted to be an NBA beat writer was because I grew up reading. I'm from Portland, Oregon. I grew up reading the Blazers coverage in the Oregonian, and there was a guy named Jason Quick who was the Blazers beat writer the Oregonian, he's still covering the Blazers, and uh, he he would write all these features and spend a day with Brandon Roy and, you know, talk about his family and write about, um, you know, stuff going on in the locker room, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever, um, and I was like, I want to do that. I was 12 years old, and I was like, I want to do that. Um, now you are. Yeah, so <laughs> it's cool. Uh, but... Guys who do that really well, uh, Lee Jenkins, before he got hired by the Clippers, was probably the best in the country at that. Um, John Branch from the New York Times, he covers the NBA, but he also covers all sports. 
um, Chris Ballard from Sports Illustrated, Ben Gulliver, um, who's with the Washington Post now. Um, those are some of my favorites who I, I read everything they write. In terms of podcasts, I listen to, uh, I'm a bit of a different animal. It's, it's odd as a sports editor, but I'm not a, a stats geek. I, I love the, 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 the personal stories that someone like Connor can bring to us where we get to meet the players and stuff. In terms of podcasts, I listen to some very mainstream sports stuff from Bill Simmons to Dan Lebetard. Uh, I, I listen to comedy podcasts a lot. I love uh, Mark Marin. Um, and uh, across the board on that. So my, my tastes are a little more eclectic that way. Uh, in, in terms of reading, it's across the board. Uh, I, I wouldn't throw out any. Well, one of my favorite uh, sports writers is columnist in uh, where I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, a guy named Terry Pluto. I love his analysis of the league. Uh, I'll throw him out there. And some of our colleagues at the Houston Chronicle do great uh, uh, basketball work too. But uh, to, to be honest, I, I focus on what we're doing. I, I have keeping a, an eye on what's happening at the athletic here in the, in the Bay Area. They've, they've built a, uh, a, a very strong cast of characters writing at that site, but I still think when uh, push comes to shove, we can bring uh, you know five, six, seven deep in absolute all-star writers to any game. We saw it when the Giants were in the World Series. We had some of the best baseball coverage in the world, in the country, and uh, we're seeing it again now in the Warriors run. So that's kind of my media palette. Yeah. I, I kind of zero in locally a lot, and... I read our stuff first, read Connor first. And, and you know, we, we have guys like Ron Krojcik, who does a lot of stuff. He's kind of a, a utility man, works a lot of sports, but he does, does a lot of warrior stuff, a lot of feature stuff. He's good. And uh, so, I, obviously, I read our stuff first. I used to read the, the Mercury News or Contra Costa Times, whatever you want to call it. But I think, are they still, do they still exist? They'll work for the athletic. They, yeah, they don't exist. Bay Area News yeah. Group. I read the athletic. I read, uh, I go to places like the, the Undefeated uh, website, um, Bleacher Report, general a, stuff. There's a lot of good NBA writers right now. Yeah, I, of, I, I yeah. follow all sports, and I feel like NBA in particular is really strong writing right now. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's funny because back in the old days, again, back in the early days of the Lakers Showtime, NBA writers didn't really exist. There were beat writers that covered teams, but there were, most papers didn't have one guy who just covered the NBA and did all that stuff. And so that's, that's kind of a new thing. And, and the guys that do it are, are really, most of them are really good. Another guy I like locally, by the way, is uh, Mark Spears, uh, uh, Oakland East Bay guy, um, and is doing good work. So keep an eye out for him and a nice guy. Um, so, yeah, it's a crowded field. I mean, uh, 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 I think two, three years ago, it got really, the year Connor started, on the uh, Warriors, I believe that year the New York Times and Washington Post both assigned someone to cover the team. You can imagine that. A New York paper sends someone to live in the East Bay and cover the Warriors. Um, that's how big a story this has been. And uh, we've been out in front of it the whole way, and I'm, I'm super proud of our coverage. Next question. A non-basketball question, but San Francisco-based. Since you guys have done so well predicting what's going to happen, is Kaepernick ever going to be hired? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say no, and I, I think that's sad. But it, the the truth is that um, no no teams want to mess with him. The owners basically, and the coaches to a lesser extent, are afraid of him. The owners are afraid of him because they're afraid of the fan backlash if they were to hire him, and a lot of them. Uh, don't like him politically because a lot of the owners of the NFL teams are tended to be um, conservative. 
donate to conservative causes and so forth. So they, a combination of fear and, and dislike of his politics, I'd say no. And now they can't officially collude. Before, there were a couple of guys, I think, that got together and said, oh, we shouldn't do this. And that's why Kaepernick got some money out of the settlement uh, against the league. But yeah, I, I definitely think he's good enough to be, certainly good enough to be a backup quarterback, including for the 49ers or Raiders. But uh, he's just untouchable. I, I think it's as simple as, you know, like if I, for whatever reason, left the Chronicle and then I went and sued the Chronicle, the Chronicle would probably not hire me back. <laughs> um, you know, they just probably wouldn't. And I think, I mean, he sued, he sued the NFL. And so I don't think they want to hire him back. But it's also a pragmatic business. So you would think that if these people desperately needed a backup quarterback, which many of them do, that they would say, okay, we'll kind of put that aside. He didn't sue us. He sued the NFL. And we'll give him a chance. But uh, I, this is the last year. we got maybe a six-month window. If he doesn't get hired during that time, you can forget it. I would concur that he's probably not coming back. I also think he had an opportunity to, to resign, and when he saw it wasn't happening, uh, that's where the suit came from. And I'm glad you asked that question because the, this, this gentleman here has been writing about Colin Kaepernick and championing his cause for a number of years. Uh, Ann Killian's writing about Colin Kaepernick. Um, I have a lot of times when we take on this issue, and, you know, as, as opinion columnists, we all know what Scott thinks about it and Ann and I wrote the first column the day we figured out that he was he was kneeling, and I remember there was no one else available, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I knew it was going to be a super hot button, and and I kind of came down to the middle on it a little bit, saying, you know, I, I get where he's coming from, but maybe this isn't the venue. And I remember it being a really hot button topic, and my thoughts on the whole thing evolved as the story evolved. But the bottom line is that intersection where sports and sociology intersect, that's where I want us more than anything. I think it's important. We get people on Twitter saying, hey, man, stick to sports. Um, if you want us to stick to sports, you're probably reading the wrong paper. We're going to write about what sports means to our society. So thanks for asking. Um, I really think those are important issues. And I, whichever, whatever you think about Colin Kaepernick, and there are valid arguments on both sides, um, he brought this issue to, to the fore, and we were all over it covering, and I'm proud of our coverage there. So um, there you go. One more? Yeah, this more? be the last question. Okay. I'm an old timer, and I remember back in 1974 when the Warriors won the championship. They swept Washington with a great team. And I know that, that Rick Barry, and I don't know if Rick Barry suffered the same type of thing that Kaepernick is suffering. What is it that the people have against Rick Barry with the Warriors organization? Um, my take is that. Uh, Rick Barry suffered the same, not, not so much the Kaepernick thing, uh, but more of a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah. thing. You remember Kareem with the, the Lakers? And Kareem always said he wanted to be a coach after he played. And he certainly had the credentials. He played at UCLA under John Wooden for four years. He was a student of the game. He was a really smart guy. He would seem to be the ideal candidate to be a coach. Never got a, even a, a, a sniff because... It was a personality thing. Um, he, he was perceived as being kind of a guy aloof, unfriendly, cold, um, even with his own teammates at times. Right. Yeah, right. Except, Except Connie McNabb managed for 100 years. But, and, and Rick Barry, the same kind of thing. Rick's got a different personality. 
For instance, he came back about three years ago. They brought him back uh, for a Warrior event. And at the time, I think the Warrior, that was when the Warriors were going for their record win season of 72 wins. They were going for their, that record. And somebody asked Rick, uh, what do you think about the Warriors? And he gave about five, made about five points, and they were all negative. They need to do this. They need to do this. They're not doing this enough. They're not doing this enough. Well, Rick, they, they're winning more games than any team in history. And Rick's just got a, a particular, peculiar personality, and it. it puts some people off, and I think that cost him a chance to ever be an NBA coach. That's an interesting observation. Yeah, a little bit prickly, a little kind of a, a self-centered, maybe uh, for a management role where you have to kind of give of yourself. Um, one thing I, we probably should mention tonight in uh, speaking of giving of themselves and a great Warriors coach is Al Adels, who's going to be going to the Hall of Fame. And uh, it's, it's been such a pleasure all these years to go out to Oracle at Oakland. And uh, I was just joking with the guys. Al always had the same joke when he'd go over there and he talked in a gravelly voice. And we, we, we would sit and uh, he'd always have one for me. He'd say, hey, Al, I ever tell you about the night me and Wilt went for 115 points? And, and, and that's true. Al Adams was on the court with Wilt when he scored 100, and that's uh, a joke. And Al had a pretty good night that night, too, with 15. I'll always remember him as a great, um, a great guy to be around. I know uh, uh, I'm really happy for him that he's getting to see this. Uh, uh, that's one thing. And then, uh, Connor, just a, uh, just a parting shot for the crowd here. I want to thank everyone for coming and joining us. Especially Connor Letourneau. I, I want to thank you for your hard work. Your ethic is unbelievable. You have uh, filled up your notebook and our paper and our digital sites incredibly uh, this year and the last couple of uh, years. So everybody, uh, keep reading. Connor, any last thoughts for the crowd? Connor? It's going to be a really interesting next year, um, as we've kind of talked about tonight. Um, I, it, it might not all be positive, but it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces and this is probably going to be the most important summer in franchise history. So, uh, you know, you're going to be really excited in June, obviously, but come July, there's going to be a lot of news. So definitely when, when you think about away. it, that's more fun. You don't want everything to be just everybody's coming back and we've got all the stars and all that stuff. It's going to be great. Yeah, we need a little tension. Conflict and resolution is what you need for a good story. And it doesn't hurt to have a brand new uh, arena right down the street. And we'll be able to walk to Warriors games here for the Chronicle. You'll so have to walk. <laughs> no parking. That's right. So, exactly. So, one more time, the great Scott Osler, Connell Letourneau. And I'm Al Sarasovic. Thanks for coming out tonight, folks. I appreciate it. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.